0: John Gereka on SAFM.
1: It's according to five. Civil rights organization Access Chapter 2 says that Uganda President Yoweri Museveni's recent visit to South Africa is a slap in the face of the LGBTQI community. Uganda has passed an anti-homosexuality act prohibiting same-sex relationships and this parliament is now dealing with a motion to introduce a private members' bill called the Anti-Homosexuality Bill, aimed at protecting what they call the traditional family. Let's talk to Steve Letzike, the Executive Director at Access2. Uh, Steve, why do you say it's a slap in the face of the LGBTQI community? Isn't it uh, the government's job to engage with uh, mosaveni Look, it is the government's responsibility
0: to engage with countries. Um, in groups on the basis of uh, you know, economic opportunities, and we believe very much so that there must be that interlink between African countries in strengthening that element. Mm-hmm. But it is also a government's responsibility not to ignore any kind of violation or any kind of injustices, because that on its own will become a challenge. Now, what we are mindful of that South African government uh, will respect, of course, sovereignty of country and independence and autonomy of countries, But it does not stop our country to actually say, look, President, we are aware of one, two, three. Can you just make sure citizens of Uganda are not subjected to any injustices or any marginalization mm-hmm. like what Uganda is doing currently?
1: Tell us about these these laws and, and and other bills that are happening in Uganda as a person of LGBTQI living in that country.
0: Mm. You, you you would understand that this bill is not new. It was first introduced in two thousand and nine, and we have seen series of violation of our tech media publications that will release people's faces. They are addressed we've even seen harassment and uh, we've seen hate crime attack on some of the, the uh, human rights defenders like David Carter who was brutally murdered in his home. But further on that bill was reintroduced again. It was slightly packed and it was reintroduced again. Because of the religious fundamentalism that is happening, we constantly see private members still being introduced. And I think you know, government has the responsibility. If you are to protect human beings, you are not selecting a segment of humans and say we are only protecting this one. People are entitled to human rights by virtue of being human. Now, this is a reintroduction, but this is not isolated. Just a month ago, Uganda, the national uh, 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 bureau that actually uh, oversees the NGO, shut down one of the leading, in fact, not only one but very few others organizations uh, like Sexual Minority Uganda Smug or shut down um, because they say saying they're promoting homosexuality and so forth, you will not operate. But these elements are the ones that actually lead to steps where you see people, politicians, uh, uh, principals, members of parliament abusing their power. In fact, instead of protecting people, they are not protecting people. They actually abuse power to actually violate
1: and marginalize others. Uh, Playing devil's advocate, they're saying that it's uh, there to protect children and the youth who are susceptible to sexual abuse. Say
0: that
1: again. I'm playing devil's advocate, saying that this anti-homosexuality act is there to protect children and the youth who are susceptible to sexual abuse.
0: You know, the protection of human beings, um, you know, is quite important. Whether you review a children's act, whether you look at all of the children, masculine children, when you speak about LGBTI people, uh, whether they grow up, they grow up in understanding their own sexuality. Everybody, by the way, has got a sexuality. And um, you know, just by virtue that others are LGBTI does not listen, disconnect them from any other fundamental right to life, privacy and freedoms, including equality for so that matter. These very same rights are enshrined in the Ugandan constitution. So the protection of children, the protection of women, the protection of men, young people is fundamental, including LGBTI people. But you understand that the violation goes beyond just sexual abuse. Of LGBTI people, it goes even through murder. We've seen it not only just Uganda; we've seen it in Kenya. So I think where it's critical. Where we only have visitors like President uh, Museveni and his government here. This is opportunity to say, welcome, let's teach you mm. also, let's okay. actually impart knowledge that helps
1: you in your country. Steve, I have to cut you off quickly. Don't go away, though. We're going to continue the conversation. We're going to take a quick ad break. My guest is Steve Letzike, is Executive Director at Access Chapter 2. We'll continue this conversation and see maybe do they know what was discussed. We'll talk about that in a bit. Uganda President Yoweri Museveni was recently in South Africa and Access Chapter 2 says it's a slap in the face of the LGBTQI community. The Executive Director of Access 2, Steve Letiki, is with us. Uh, Steve, do you know if there was any engagement about this with the South African government? Well, I know that
0: um, there was a response um, that was uh, released by uh, Minister Pando uh, when you know she indicated that there are certain talks um, that they will not uh, uh, engage on because uh, you know they are not necessarily in liability of 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 doing or having those talks. We did write, of course, uh, and communicated um, to various stakeholders. Uh, in terms of why there can be certain engagements. They don't have to happen on a public space. They must happen, and they can happen in in private, where there is diplomacy, where Mm. there is uh, a a, a kind of engagement. So when the interest of saying that South Africa is interested in collaborating and having a bilateral of a nature that actually ensures prosperity, The prosperity and economic prosperity and social prosperity speaks to everybody. We must never have any intentions that leave anyone behind. And I think it will be a missed opportunity for our government, our president and the ministers to take actually a leap of faith on how we can engage around leaving no one behind and observing Mm. and respecting the human rights that Uganda also has signed at an international level.
1: What would you have liked to have done? Would, would would you as Access Chapter 2 say you don't want Mosavani in the country at all?
0: Well, look, we cannot stop. If we had the opportunity to do so, we would, but as an organization, because we must be able to reject countries that marginalize. Remember, just two weeks or so ago, government of South Africa was also at the AU level where there were conversations about uh, uh, um, there was a conversation about Israel. And they strongly built solidarity uh, uh, with Palestine. Mm. We built solidarity with Cuba before. Mm. And I thought you, it's going to be important for our own government to build solidarity with African countries where there's marginalization. What's different? We are not going to compare different struggles, but we must be solid about building a better Africa for all. Let's not move far. Mm -hmm. Uganda is an African country. Ghana is an African country. Kenya is. Why are we not starting there? Eswatini, our neighboring country. And there's positions that have been taken by the ruling party and the ruling government Mm -hmm. in building solidarity. And we believe, as Access Chapter Two, that level of consistency in talks, in negotiation, but also in harmony of diplomacy, but making sure that a just approach is what we fight for and fight for freedom for all.
1: South Africa is a shining light, or maybe it was a shining light of human rights. We've got this great constitution. Does this tarnish that a little bit when uh, the rest of the world sees uh, Museveni coming into the country and being hosted?
0: We cannot run away from you know the realities of many uh, 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 citizens of other countries. But Africa still remains a shrine globally mm. of our own democracy, but also our, our own constitution. What we have strived to do over the years, almost 30 years into this democracy, is to actually make sure that the rights enshrined in the constitution are a lived reality. Now, that must be present and making sure that we are not only just talking, this only important. Now, at a global
1: level, we are seen as a beacon of hope. At African, we lost Steve. I think that was the end of the phone line. Mean- yeah, sorry, Steve, you were saying this uh, <coughs> phone line phone line broke up. You were saying on a global level, we are seen. No. All right. That phone line is gone. All right. Thank you very much. It's, it's fine. Steve Letziki uh, joining us here, Executive Director at Access Chapter 2. Uh, unfortunately, that phone line giving out. Is it load shedding? Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. Uh, you were there, Safer. We've got a couple of minutes to go to the news coming up at five o'clock. We're going to take your calls uh, in the second half of the next hour. It, yeah, it it makes sense in my head. <laughs> Hopefully, it does in yours as well. But our big conversation, and the one we've been leading up to, uh, for the the since the beginning of the show, is the interview today. Uh, Why is trade union membership declining in South Africa and across the globe? My guest first will be Jeremy Corbyn, UK MP and former leader of the UK National uh, Correction, the UK Labour Party. And then Mbazima Shiloha will join us, former Premier of Kharteng and former General Secretary of the Congress of South African Trade Unions, or COSATU. And we'll ask them a number of questions. They must have reasons. Uh, Some of the reasons you've given me so far is the scattered approach. That unions have there's just too many of them. Uh, so the workers have lost faith in unions and the way that they work. And a word that I didn't know existed, but I'm going to use it now: the casualization of labour. Uh, so it's yeah, it's the gig economy. It's you you come and go. You're a freelancer, and it's you you're a, a seasonal worker. Are seasonal workers part of unions? Can they be part of unions? If you all you do is come in and do a project and leave. Can you be part of that union? I don't know. Let me know. And, and I need solutions to this. And I need answers. And you've got a few minutes to get some of those voice notes and some of your messages in as well. I think we've got time for one voice note. We're going to squeeze one voice note in just before the news at 5 o'clock uh, on 0614-104-107.